Hello and welcome to Weed Spawn, where we talk about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host, Bobby. With with me is Joshua. Hello, Bobby. I'm glad to do another podcast. Today we'll be talking about Horizon Zero Dawn. So if you haven't seen any gameplay or footage of it and you want to play it, just remember, spoilers ahead. This game is quite interesting only because it took a different perspective on the futuristic apocalypse genre i say that because it it does future like it does apocalypse it does this genre but they put a twist on it because it goes into a dinosaur aspect robotic dinosaurs and it it's a risk that definitely paid off uh, this game was created by Guerrilla Games, who everyone knows from Horizon Zero Dawn, and Killzone. And halfway through the production of Killzone 3, they said, well, I don't think we should be doing Killzones much anymore, so what can we do different? And they decided to stop doing the first-person shooter altogether, and they went for a third-person RPG across an open world where you fight dinosaurs. And it took them seven years to produce Horizon, but those seven years of hard work paid off amazing. And just to clarify, they are machine dinosaurs, not just regular dinosaurs. They are <laughs> machine dinosaurs, which yes. I think makes it ten times better. Yes, it absolutely does. So basically, the for Horizon Zero Dawn, it's set into the future what was it like 2067 or 2064 yeah. or something like that something like that between like i don't know if they ever give us like a specific timeline but i think it's between like 700 to a thousand ish years almost the end of civilization as we know it but we'll get into what actually happened and how humanity was saved a lot of years a hundred so years whatever um i kind of forget it into the future and everyone's kind of revert back to this tribal area but i say that but the the machines are out and about and they hunt gather and take machine parts and everything and that's how they live well everything was fine until a couple of years ago when the derangement happened which is making each machine more and more hostile more aggressive even the ones that would actually run away if they saw humans now they're actually will stay and like fight them so throughout this journey you're trying to figure out what the derangement is but also the secrets behind who you are and what is going on and what happened in the past and for this game i think it did post-apocalyptic really well and it kind of does something a little different than other post-apocalyptic games do and that is making the world environment really welcoming. Like, I thought it was a really pretty and very just nature game. Whereas, well, excluding the giant murder robots. Uh, <laughs> and most games that do Apocalypse tend to make a really gloomy, unwelcoming world because it is unwelcoming. It's, it's the fall of man, and it's definitely not a bad thing. But if you just look at Fallout, for example, it's a nuclear war, and it's just dark and scary. But this game, as you walk through the world, you can't help but think, like, it's just so 
beautiful. It's green. It's vibrant. Nature's coming back. And um, it has tribal villages. Like, there's nothing really high-tech besides the robots, the machines. And it's just kind of a blank canvas, which is really cool. And you do get some gloom. Like, when you go to the old ruins where where humanity used to live. Um, but it kind of is a flashback in time to when humans ruined the world and stuff. So it just kind of fits um, when you're looking at the past society and how it's all fucked up and shit. That's true. Yeah, and oh. and that's just kind of just a neat perspective on the game. Yeah, and also one thing about those like ruins is kind of like you said, like even in today's like modern day history, if you go, if you find any ruins, it's always going to be kind of like dark and gloomy because it's been untouched for centuries, and it's kind of the same thing that happens here. So I do agree. I like the whole. It's an apocalyptic. It's technically an apocalyptic era, but it's also like life has found a way again, and everything. It's kind of like slowly starting over from scratch, and like you said, there's not much high tech besides the machines that are there and the weapons and stuff they craft from it but other than that it is very back to the hunting and gathering almost aspect until you reach certain cities who are a little more advanced than others but just like any civilization it's like the difference between going from the u.s to some third world country or something obviously the technological difference is going to be there so i think it's really nice that even though it's an apocalyptic era it almost doesn't feel like it exactly i agree one one thing that intrigued me is i think especially for it being an rpg it maybe because it's a third person that it worked better than if it was first person but the fact that they chose the main weapon to be a bow and arrow, I mean, it fits the game perfectly, don't get me wrong, because you start out as a hunter. But most RPGs or any apocalyptic era, uh, it's usually like a sword or some kind of melee weapon. I mean, Fallout, you have guns and whatnot, but that's like Fallout. It's kind of yeah, different. That's, but yeah, that's made to be futuristic and stuff, and this is kind of like... A tribal aspect they want you to really get that feel of tribal even in the the last of us you have sparing ammo and a lot of times you have to either sneak up and use um like the shiv or whatever to stealthily kill people but i just think that your main weapon is a bow and arrow although i say main weapon but they actually have (laughs) I think a pretty good set of weapons. There was the tripcaster, the sling, the ropecaster. We had the there was different types of bows. There was a war bow, the short bow, the long bow, the kajin or kajara Karja. bow. Karja. Yeah, Karja bow. My bad, Karja bow. There basically all the tribe names they had a bow for, but each one was cool because. You could carry what a total of four different weapons at once, and like, well, you could carry more weapons, but you can only have four active weapons at once, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so, yeah. And with that, is each bow could only use certain types of ammunition. So you had regular arrows, you had terror arrows, you had terror blast arrows, you had fire arrows, ice arrows, poison arrows. 
freeze arrows, the electric arrows. So you had all these different types of elements, and then tear the terror blast, oh, and harvest arrows. I almost forgot about them because I never use them. <laughs> I never used harvest arrows. They they just seem kind of pointless to me because after you're going through the game and killing all these machines, you kind of get all the parts you need. So unless you're like farming for a specific part, it's kind of irrelevant because it does such low damage. More for like if you played on like a hard difficulty. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make a slight correction. It wasn't poison. It was corruption. It basically poisoned two machines, but it's called corruption. And the tear ones were precision, hard point, and terror blast. So there were different ones you could use. And then when you face different machines, they had weak points and weaknesses. So there were some who were immune to like fire, but then there were some who were weak to fire which would actually do significantly more damage, which I think was really nice because there are some games where it's like, oh, this is weaker. And so it's like, okay, so your attack went from 10 to 15. Like, oh, that's not that much difference. (laughs) But hey, you are doing more damage. Where with Horizon Zero Dawn, if the weakness was an element, like the shock, freeze, or fire... If you hit them enough, there was a little gauge, and you could set them on fire, you could freeze them, you could paralyze them, and it would do a big chunk of damage. Mm-hmm. On top of that, if they were weak to certain elements, if they had like power cells and they were weak to fire, if you hit those power cells, or fuel cells or whatever, they would cause massive fire damage, like explosions, and certain ones have frost canisters, so if you hit them with frost arrows... They would freeze them like instantly and everything in the surrounding area. So they added those little elements to each machine to give you additional elemental damage. So it kind of motivated you to use specific elements against specific machines. It was, I'm pretty sure it was the grazer, yeah. The grazer, which is like a... What would, mm, uh, like a terraforming like a, antelope. Yes, that's a good way. <laughs> and they had... It was either like four or six canisters sticking from the back, and they were probably the easiest ones to shoot, like a fire arrow, because they were they were one of the few passive machines out there. And when you would like, sometimes there would be some kind of tribal challenge or something, or even if you found them out in the wild, they were almost always in packs. And so you could set like set one on fire from the left side of the pack, set one on fire from the right side of the pack. You could just watch it burn, and then a big explosion would come and like knock out everything. And then the one on the far right, when they decide to run away, that one would catch on fire and explode and kill all the <laughs> machines coming around. Oh my god, that was so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did a great job with the combat system of this game in general. Like they, it felt natural and everything about it like you find new strategies in fighting and it was just very strategic game if you looked harder into it like you can you can play the game just straight fighting with a couple different types of arrows but if you actually looked into each element and looked at machines and what they were weak to it totally opens up the combat system of this game i personally I have, would carry at least three bows on me in each one. Because once you get to like the highest one, there was basically, I think, nine types of arrows. 
nine or like 12 types of arrows. I think <laughs> if you had a, like a fire bow, a lot of time it would be like fire, shock, and freeze. So you'd have like all three of those. <laughs> and then it would be like terror, blast, precision, corruption, and then regular harvest and hard point. The regular harvest and hard point, I'd hardly ever use. It was more like the terror, blast, precision, and all the elemental ones. And so I would always have that and then have a free slap for either like the rope caster, a sling, or a tripwire. Early on, I personally, I think the tripwire, I could have used the tripwire a lot more and probably had a lot easier time. The only thing is when you go and you kind of do more of a stealthy approach, you can see the pathing of the machines. If you're hidden and then you use your focus, which is a little machine you find early on that tells you all this information. It's basically like a high-tech... Google. <laughs> yeah. High-tech Google Bluetooth that gives you VR, or actually AR, aspects in reality. Basically, it's what kind of brings up your menu and everything Yeah. <laughs> from the game perspective. But you can see the pathing. So if you put some trip wires there, you can automatically get a free down. And then if you, there's like three separate skill trees. There's combat, there's stealth, and then there's like harvest. And harvest is more like utility based. So you get more from crafting, more from searching stuff, more loot. Basically, stealth is exactly what it is. You can do stealth attacks. You can hide easier. You can sprint while being like silent. Combat is exactly like it is. You can end up shooting multiple arrows at once. You can reload faster. You can do slow motion reload. Like there's different aspects you can do. And honestly, if you go through like all the side quests, it doesn't really matter which one you go to because you can get almost all the skill trees mm -hmm. in all of them. It just depends on how you want to play that I would level up that skill tree first. And like you were saying, there's a lot of different styles you can play. You can either go guns a-blazing and decide to go straight through the storyline and just use whatever your favorite bow that has the most damage and just go from there. Or you could do stealthy, hide in bushes, do stealth attacks that kill a lot of like smaller machines and kill them in like one hit with a stealth attack. And then there's also a way you can actually take control over the machines by taking mm. over cauldrons. Yeah, that was that was a really fun aspect of it because you could I, I forget how you you can get up to pretty large machines if I'm not mistaken. Like you could get sawtooths and stuff. Yeah, eventually if you get all the cauldrons, you can actually take over every single machine that is not a deathbringer <laughs> or any Anything else that is corrupted. Yeah, I've never done a thunder jaw. I've never, um... No, you can. Oh, you can? I've never done one. I've done it, I think, two or three times. So, do you remember going... You're going to Meridian, and you're in this, like, desert ruin kind of place, and that's, like, the first time you see, like, a thunder jaw? Mm-hmm. So... You have obviously you have to have the cauldron unlocked, but the easiest way to do it is if you kind of like get his attention, but not not to where he's trying to attack you. So like just alerted, 
and you hide in a bush and before he'll walk over to you before he does his little like radar sonar thing and basically when he walks up to you you kind of have to time it right to hopefully he's at that bush you are and then you can control him like right then and there well, damn. So you have kind of like a small window before, like of him looking for you before he actually uses radar. Because if he uses radar and You're finds done. you, he's automatically yeah, he's automatically trying to attack you. Yeah, I've done Ravenger and Sawtooths. Yeah, they're pretty fun because the Ravenger is pretty quick, so he's just like annihilating everything, which is oh, yes. great. My favorite is when you have like two of the same fighting against each other, and you see which one's stronger. Because <laughs> I think you can actually, as you in the skill tree, upgrade that corruption or the takeover uh you can actually make them stronger or maybe it lasts longer it lasts longer and i think it gives them like more health Mm -hmm. i'm not sure i know for sure it lasts longer as one of them my favorite fighting style in this game was pretty stealthy but i would always use my trip caster and use like the exploding lines or electric lines so i get an instant down and then my favorite weapon by far was the sling because really? or the the blast sling actually because i just love the explosive bombs because you could use the proximity bombs and lay them along their path and they would just walk into them or when they're downed you can just blast them or use sticky bombs and like just launch a bunch of sticky bombs on them as they're coming to you they blow up and you're done it was just i felt like it was really easy but sometimes it was a little too easy so i like to throw out an elemental bow so it added a little more challenge. See, my normal playthrough, I was, I did the very stealthy approach too. My, because my favorite thing, honestly, was just taking over the machines. I would mm-hmm. literally go and take over like every machine I saw. Like it didn't matter like if it was weak or not. I would just take it over and watch them fight. And then like I tried to take over another one. I just, I don't know. I just loved taking over the machines. And that was like basically my place out. If I couldn't, <laughs> stealthily take it over then i would have to figure out some way to like fight it and i kind of realized the flaw in that strategy is because when i first got to the first cauldron they introduced and they're like oh now you can do this i literally skipped almost every side mission and went for like every single cauldron (laughs) just beelined it to the next cauldron yeah there were some that were really hard to take over because basically at the end of every cauldron oh yeah you had to fight one big machine that was, like, tough. There was a Bellowback, a Thunderjaw, a Sabretooth. There was, like, a lot of different ones. So there were definitely times where it took me probably, like, ten tries to get over a cauldron because I was underleveled for that cauldron, but I really wanted to do it. And then by the time I got to the end of the cauldron, I'm like, all right, there's no way I'm about to just leave now after I went through all of this. Because the earlier cauldrons are pretty quick, but the later ones can take you like 20 minutes to get through. But then I also, when I recently replayed it and I played on the hardest difficulty, that sling you mentioned came in so much handy. I, The one thing I loved about playing on the hardest difficulty, besides the fact that it pissed me off that literally I'd get one shot at like everything. Oh yeah. I had to really do the stealthy approach, but it also made me use a lot of the slings that I didn't when I first did it. A lot of the trip casters and the rope caster. I did use the rope caster quite a bit in my other one because it's 
I think one of the best ways to fight the Thunderjaw. The Thunderjaw, by the way, is this big giant T Rex mm-hmm. uh, with machine launchers, disc launchers. Like it's like the ultimate killing machine. I wanna I wanna make a correction real quick to what I said. I didn't use the rope caster. I used the trip caster. Sorry. I thought you did say trip caster. Maybe I misheard. The rope caster was really nice, especially when he had like the strongest one, because the difference in like rarity between the rope casters mean they wouldn't break out as easy so when you had like the strongest rope caster that was one of the first items i got because in hard mode it is a lot harder to get metal shards which is the currency and all the traders are more expensive to buy so you had to really pick and choose what weapon you wanted to buy and like for what purposes and the rope caster was always one of my like go-to ones because if i couldn't defeat a machine either stealthily or just by shooting it the rope caster doesn't matter like how big it is or how small it is if it's smaller it takes fewer you could always down it and then i could do a critical hit i could take it over i could do a lot of things so for me when i played it on it was either hard or very hard whatever the hardest difficulty was the rope caster was probably my most used weapon when it was something I didn't really use in my normal playthrough, along with the sling. Because like you said, those sticky bombs, especially against the thunder draw, and you seem trying to hit that weak point perfectly, oh, mm-hmm. they were so helpful. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was always so tough when certain machines, like they open up their chest plate or something and ventilate. And you know that's their weak spot. Like, it shines yellow and stuff, and you're like, I gotta hit that. But it's always in such an obscure location. Like, it's always facing the opposite direction of you, or it's open just for a split second too short, and you miss it. And it's just, like, so frustrating, because you know you're going to do massive damage if you can hit that. But I can never hit it. So frustrating. I think another one, uh, another tough one, with a bellow vax. Hmm. Do we know oh, those I ones? love those ones. They're the ones with the uh, the fire or ice yes. like flamethrowers. Those, especially if you hit their back. Basically, these Bellabacks are a giant... <laughs> flamethrower. Yeah, exactly. Their machines have like this big oil canister almost on the back. And depending if they're fire or freeze Bellabacks. And if you destroy those, like the little sacks or little canisters they're holding, they'll do an explosion of that type. If you can destroy it when it's in a group of machines, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. But also, it hurts you. So if you destroy it and you're a little too close, I've died a few times from <laughs> doing that. And sometimes they're just annoying as hell. But I do yeah. like the Bellabacks. They're just a pain in the ass sometimes. I think the worst one for me is the Stalker. Well, the Stalker was pretty bad, but the worst one for me was the giant-ass bird, not the Glint Hawk. Oh, the Rock Bird. The... I'm pretty yeah. sure it's called the Rock Bird, isn't it? Storm, Storm Bird, I think. Storm Bird, yep. Yeah. Storm Bird. He, he just moves so much, and I can never... Because he has so many different moves, so once you knock one um, weapon off him... Another one pops up, and it's just yeah. like, God. And the one thing, the difference between the Stormbird and the Thunderjaw, because the Thunderjaw has a lot of different moves, too. Probably mm-hmm. more, honestly, more moves. Actually, no. 
Stormbird technically has five attacks and the Thunderjaw has four. But I feel like the Thunder what makes the Thunderjaw a little easier is that if you destroy certain parts of a machine, especially like weapons, you can actually use it against them. So the disc launcher that the Thunderjaw uses that will literally like one-shot you if you get hit, you can use like a terror blast or a precision arrow, anything that will knock that weapon off and then you can pick it up and use it against them and do massive damage where the stormbird you don't really have that you can take away its lightning capabilities but then it's still like a bird it will still dive you it will still like charge you like there's no stopping that because it uses its body to attack it literally <laughs> has one like one weapon but then it has like four different attacks Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a bitch. Especially, like, that I had to use the rope caster for. 100% I had to I, use a rope caster. I never thought about using a rope caster on a bird. I feel I feel dumb now. <laughs> <laughs> you had to be careful, though, because, like, the storm bird, like, you had to get it when it either landed or when it would kind of, like, there would always be a few seconds where it would kind of just, like, float above you and, like, waiting before it shot, like, its electric balls at you. So, like, during that time, you had to, like, shoot him, and then, like, you had to be very quick about it, because it wouldn't, like, go away or break free pretty quick. So, like, once you brought it down, though, it would automatically get, like, stunned, because you're bringing it from the air to the ground, so it'll take some damage and then stun, so then that's your chance to take it over, hit it with some blast slings, or go up and critically hit it. So, that's what I had to do a lot of times, because I... I hated glint hawks. I hated stormbirds. <laughs> I hated like every flying enemy there was because my way of playing was always the stealthy approach. And you can't freaking stealth no. kill a bird. No, you cannot. It's awful. So that's one thing. <laughs> yeah, my playstyle for killing the birds was to just tear blast them until all their weapons were gone, and then just unload on precision or fire or electric arrows and stuff. It's not the best strategy. I realize that, but it was the easiest for me. <laughs> One thing, another way I fought against the any kind of the glint hawks or the um, stormbird, fire arrows. If you actually get them to be well, I guess it's any element, any elemental arrows. Arrows. If you got them to be full and they got like burned, frozen, or paralyzed, they would always fall from the sky to the ground and take damage. Mm. So depending on where you're fighting, because there was one time I was fighting like kind of like in this mountain area and I knocked like two of them down with like fire freeze. And next thing I know, I saw them burn and then I saw them fall to the ground and then I would just see the message, Clint Hawk killed, experience gained. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. Yeah, that was always the best, just watching them plummet from the sky and then they just die. Explosion happens. It's like, yes. The birds are just awful. One thing that I wish was a little more, you could do a little more, were the Tallnax. They're giant, basically long-necked dinosaurs with this, like, disc for a head. And they're kind of like a collection point that you have to get that helps you and will get rid of the fog of war for you for your map. Like an eagle point in Assassin's Creed, it's... Anything, basically, you get up in there, 
and it just reveals the map for you. But that's all it does. It was such a cool machine that I just felt bad that that's all it did. Yeah, it felt underwhelming for them because you see them like they were one of the main focal points of when they were shown at E3 and their posters and stuff. And you're like, wow, there's this huge ass bronchiosaurus and there's going to be some sweet stuff with them. But then it just ends up being checkpoint. Yeah, they're often called gentle giants because (laughs) they literally like you can attack them and they won't do anything. They'll just continue walking in their circle that they need to, but they literally won't do anything. So that was one thing I felt, or at least in some kind of mission, because they had the derangement and everything. Like, what if they just decide to let that loose? At least one mission, and you had to try to figure out a way to, like, if you played Star Wars Battlefront 2, when you faced the AT-ATs, and you had to, like, rope around the, the legs... Like, what if you had to use the rope caster or the trip wire to, like, trip up its legs so it would fall or something like that? Like, just have one battle with it. I honestly, it was such a cool machine that I wanted to fight it, mm-hmm. even though if it would kill me in, like, one hit because it's so <laughs> massive, I wanted to try to fight it. I yeah. would have loved to have a mission where we could have fought a tall neck. Yeah, I would have felt terrible killing a tall neck because they're oh, just for sure. such cool creatures, but... Yeah, I would want. I wanted to kill one too. It's just the curiosity got the best of me, and I'm like, what, what, what is this thing capable of? But we never found out. Yeah, there's a lot of different machines in there, and if you played the game, you know, you, I guarantee you have a few that you easily fought, and some that you didn't like. I know a lot of our we went straight to like the most powerful ones, but to be honest with you, if you played the game, you know a lot of the smaller ones really aren't that difficult to fight like the sawtooth yeah can be tough but if you know exactly what to do it's not too hard the lance horn which is just like an antelope almost as well like the grazer but but more but more way more aggressive it has two horns that want to try to kill you long legs which were like a mix between like an ostrich and a chicken i guess (laughs) They had this like screech ability that was annoying as hell, but mm. I mean they weren't too difficult to like dodge the attacks and everything. So it was just like once, once you played a little bit. Honestly, the only tough ones were like the, the Stormbird, the Thunderjaws, the big main ones. Mm-hmm. Although I will admit the Shellwalkers, <laughs> Shellwalkers were a bitch because they had a shield. So mm-hmm. if you couldn't destroy that. Because they would always come, and they always were in caravans. So you had to destroy either the shield generator in their like left arm, and their right arm shot electric balls, and then they also had an electric field if you got too close. And so it was just like, if you mistimed it, like you can't attack them head on, because that shield will deflect everything. So you had to have like trip caster set, or you had to do it stealthily where you... Like disabled, like the first shot you did disabled the shield generators. So that's another one that was annoying as hell, but not the worst because a lot of times to fight a shell walker was very optional because, mm-hmm. like I said, they were like caravans. And if you managed to take their little, they're basically like this crab that has a care package container on their back. And so you can knock that off. 
and then you can take whatever is in there and then that's what would like basically a little reward yeah like a loot, loot crate yeah exactly i always avoided them i didn't like them i fought them like every now and then like i would if i saw them and I was like, hmm, there's only two. And, like, sometimes our escorts would only be, like, watchers, which mm-hmm. is, like, the easiest thing to kill. I would go after them. But, like, there's sometimes they would have, like, long legs. And yeah. I would be like, yeah, I'm, I don't feel like fighting two or three shell walkers, a long leg, and, like, two watchers. I'm like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> what, was, what was your favorite machine in the game? And why? Hmm. I mean, the Tallnecks were definitely up there, but the Rockbreaker was a bitch. I hated them. With a burning passion. (laughs) God damn, that's a tough one. Like, by design or, like... Uh, Just in general, like, by design, by appearance, skill, fightability maybe the freeze bellaback to be honest like it has a big weak point don't get me wrong which was the canister on the back but for me the freeze bellaback was stronger than the regular bellabacks and a lot of times you just didn't fight them alone Mm -hmm. so they were kind of like the guardian and i know a lot of times doing my stealthy playthrough if i fought one and i got caught by it i'm like all right well time to kill myself and start over because (laughs) they were they were a bitch to fight but i felt like they were a lot a good balance because they did have that massive weakness so if you did play to their weakness instead of just brute forcing it you could do some massive damage to other machines and i also love doing that i love watching the collateral damage Mm mm-hmm just watching like so much stuff get frozen or like blown up so the, either the freeze bellaback or the regular bellaback so i just chose freeze bellaback because i prefer ice over fire but probably the bellaback overall that's fair my favorite not as cool as yours but mine's just the behemoth i don't know why it's just like this giant really? cow bull thing that is a storage unit i just <laughs> like him a lot and He's very boring in terms of attack, because all he does is ram, I I believe. Yeah, I mean, he has, like, a little launcher that, like, I think it helps him shoot, like, rocks at you or something. He's pretty boring, honestly, but I just like the way he looks, and he's giant, and he's just pretty cool. Looks department, I will give you, but, like, for me, (laughs) I don't know, he's... he's, I never fought him. I never, you had to fight I, him. I'm, I mean, I fought him, but like, in, just in general, I didn't ever go out of my way to fight them because they're so boring to fight. Yeah. I was about to say, you had to fight them in the Coliseum. Yeah. But that's but... literally, like, the only time I ever really did <laughs> fight them. Especially, like, the Rock Breaker. The only time I ever really fought them was that main mission that you had to. And then, like, in the wild, if I ever saw them, like, like, oh, Rock break camp i was like oh let me go around away. yeah <laughs> yeah i'll just go around this thing i i can take the light away yeah I, I don't need to save the five minutes to Mm-mm. cut through this I, I, i'll just i'll just climb a mountain it's fine rock bears they're one of the terrible. it's funny though because it's if it's a thunder jaw i'll be like all right let's fucking go right but like rock breaker i'm like nope. nah. 
Because, like I said, the Thunderjaw, because it has so many weapons it can use to kill you, you can also use those weapons to kill it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think a lot of the machines they made were very balanced for what they were made to do. Agreed. Because obviously, like, the very earlier ones, like, they're kind of just to get you, like, experience on how to kill and everything. Like, the Grazers, like, a lot of times the Grazers are there to help you, like, either get materials or to help kill like machines like i said if you hit a fire canister on it and then just watch the explosion so i think it did a pretty good balance job agreed and one thing i learned when i was just reading up on horizon is their whole combat system like i said earlier they worked on this project for seven years and when they displayed it at e3 that was i believe five years into their project i think when they first announced it and released their first trailer. So when they released that trailer at E3, they only finished their combat system six months before that. So, and obviously like the first two years was proof of design and concept and stuff, but they spent like three years perfecting this, this uh, fighting system. But yeah, the combat, you can definitely feel the combat system in it because I feel I feel the thing is they kind of put they didn't put too much emphasis on it, but they did wanted you to use different types of weapons based on like weaknesses and attack patterns. Mm-hmm. And a lot of games that do that, I still would use like one or two weapons at most and just kind of brute force my way. But with like Horizon Zero Dawn, I actually use multiple weapons. Yes. And that made me happy because it kept being like, oh, I'm about to face these types of machines. Let me customize my loadout for this. And I thought that was really nice. Especially even the armor. The armors have different resistances. So if you know you're going to face a lot of freeze, you like a freeze bellaback, you can do a lot of freeze resist. If you're going against corruption, there's corruption resist. It's There's just so many different things to do based on what situation you were going in i don't know have you ever played monster hunter i have not so monster hunter is kind of similar where they have different monsters that have different elemental like attacks or like different types of attacks and you'd get weapons and armor based on that and you could change it and i think that's what's really nice about horizon is that you could change your loadout and everything for Mm -hmm. a specific spot yeah and and it's just like the, those small details that you don't really conscious you're not consciously aware of until you're looking back at the game and even even the small details of like breaking a weapon off a creature and being able to use it against it like that wasn't necessary in the game but it added so much more playability to it like more strategy and it, they they spent 3 years probably more maybe on this combat system and it really shows because it's perfected like always when you're going through all these different like cities so you first you first start out in it's called the conclave right i think so yeah conclave and basically how we said it went back to like the tribal matters it you're almost like secluded from the world like there it's almost like a cult if i had to say because you're part of the Nora, which has their very own, their very traditional, 
and they're like closed off to the world because of the whole derangement going on and you finally they finally start opening up uh, trade with the Karja and that's when you finally get you go through some stuff and get basically permission to leave because you, they end up finding out that like you're the chosen one or kind of like cliche thing but basically you're the chosen one and you have to go out and explore the world and so you go you're starting to go to like meridian which is more like this steampunk type tower the more kind of like advanced civilization and you learn like all these different tribes and how far they've gotten through the extinction and like going through all this obviously there's like collectibles you can get like data, uh, data points and recording logs. Now, a lot of these you don't have to get per se, but then there's some missions that almost like force you to get them and you can always skip them, but that's one thing I would highly recommend you don't do. Mm -hmm. So much of the story and so much of the lore that they put in this game is in a lot of those data points in those recording logs there was one thing you'd learn as you go through like the whole kind of the reason why the nora decide to close off was the karja with the previous they sun king that's their leader they call him the sun king there's an event called the red raids where they would kidnap people from other tribes and sacrifice them almost like the aztecs did you learn like there's some data points that you look into and it looks like just a piece of paper and it would be like two pages worth of script i guess i don't know of like whatever to read and you wouldn't know exactly what happened and it's just crazy how much detail they put on that mm -hmm. and it was always so easy to skip them because with the, with the text data logs is they're they were pretty long in certain cases they were kind of lengthy i yeah i skipped a lot of those data logs mm -hmm. like there's some or like i would read like a paragraph and then i'll be like all right this doesn't concern the main story i'll mm -hmm. come back and read it later yeah like anything that had to do with like nora and like current times i didn't read but when it had to do with the past i read but i recently went back and started reading them all but it's just so easy to skip because there's they're kind of lengthy and you're like well this this doesn't really add to the gameplay but once you actually look into them it kind of does it deepens the lore and the history and it's really cool just like the audio ones and the hologram ones are just so much easier to watch because a lot of the hologram ones are mandatory but it's just easier to watch them because it's reading it for you and they're like 30 second clips so that's one thing like i would recommend going back and looking at them because it just strengthens the game i think especially when you start to get towards i would say the ending of the game when you think you're near the end trust me you're not <laughs> you still have like another couple of hours when i thought i was finally when you meet up with silence silence yeah and he starts talking about like the past world i was like oh my god i'm actually getting close no you still have you still have quite a bit of gameplay left. Yeah, they start talking about the past, and it's like, oh, I'm getting towards the end. And they're like, hold on, we're still unraveling this whole huge-ass mystery. That's what I kind of liked about it, though, is, like, once you get there, for me, once I got to that point, and actually learning, instead of the present-day 
Horizon, you were starting to learn the past and like what caused all this to happen. And it just made me want to like keep going, keep going. Like even if I was already playing for like five or six hours when I was learning more and more stuff, especially through the holograms where you actually saw Elizabeth Sobeck and was it Ted? Ted Farrell, yeah. Ted Farrell, basically the head person, uh, Farrell Industries, which created these machines. And Elizabeth Sobeck was hired to figure out like a plan to stop them. Once you started like seeing their interaction and seeing everything play through, like you just didn't want to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just unraveling this mystery, and and it it just as you're unraveling, it just intrigues you more. Like holy shit! Like how are they gonna get out of this? How did they manage to get out of this? And it's just like it keeps drawing you deeper in. And I'll be honest, when I first was reading some of the audio logs, I was trying to think of possible <laughs> ways that this, like, they got out of this. But honestly, I'm like, I don't see how. Right. Like, I thought it was going to be, honestly, some fallout thing where they went into a bunker and just lived there forever. But then it's like, what about the machines? Like, what mm-hmm. about, like how did the machine stop and all this stuff and like you slowly learn through like audio logs and everything about like what each type of machine is called the they're called like horus the kopesh which is the deathbringer and the what was it the chariot um the chariot was the whole line oh the whole line so gotcha. uh, peacekeeper or the um scarab was the corruptor Scarab was the corrupted, Kopesh was the Deathbringer, and the Horus was, was known as the Metal Devil. Yeah. Which is this giant <laughs> ass machine that you, like, there's a mission where you have to, like, go and explore it. I think that's where you meet Silas, like, I think so. face to face. And it's just, like, this yeah. giant ass machine that I'm like, how did humanity even bring one of those fuckers down? I don't think they did. So, so when I was going through the, holog- the holograms and the audio logs, Basically, these machines run on biomaterial, and they just eat up the earth as they're killing everything in sight. Like, they're just rampaging it, making it a barren wasteland. And the Horus, or the Metal Devil, is able to recreate, like, just duplicate these other machines, the Deathbringer and the Kopesh. So they can just keep going on and ravaging the earth, so they're multiplying like crazy. And the only way they brought it down was by dying basically the they the whole horizon project was about letting earth die completely and then rebuilding from scratch through machines and that's the only reason the metal devil lost is because he went into hibernation once all the biological material was gone and then the horizon project was able to after because in the data logs they're saying the reason these went corrupt, they don't know the reason, but they couldn't bring them down because Ted Farrow didn't put in a back door and he had no kill codes. So it was impossible to break their encryption. Well, virtually impossible. And that's why they had to die because they didn't have the resources to survive long enough. And the Horizon Project was a supercomputer that spent half a century just breaking the codes to shut these guys down. And just to clarify, the project was actually called Zero Dawn. 
Yeah, and not they Horizon. Just added Horizon to the game, the but game. the project was codenamed yeah, Zero, Zero Dawn. Dawn. Yeah, my bad. One, and one of my, like, it was sad, but also really, like, kind of brought more into this game was when you, I don't know what exactly, what place it was. The machines were loose from the whatever glitch that caused them, and they're consuming biomass, and they're, like, at a rapid rate. And the thing is, they learn. It's almost like Terminator, where they learn, like, once you, de- once you figured, like, the military figured out one way to defeat one of these, like, Deathbringers or whatever, one of the chariot lines, and they would come back and learn from it so it got harder with each battle they had a code name called enduring victory yeah that was sad the whole point of enduring victory was the military had to stall the machines long enough for project project zero dawn to succeed nobody knew what project zero dawn was they thought it was like some kind of weapon that Mm -hmm. would wipe out all the machines so they were all fighting for their lives that not like 99% of the time the chances were to die their job was just to stall the machines mm-hmm. as long as they could yeah it's for this weapon they wanted this weapon to become operational to save the world and it finds out that project zero dawn is actually an advanced form ai called gaia and they had different they had different names for it like apollo hades Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were like a bunch of subcategories like Apollo, Hades, Hephaestus. Basically um, all Persephone. the Yeah, all the like Greek, Greek gods. gods. They everyone loves using the Greek gods. Mm-hmm. And like each one had a purpose. Like that's the whole reason why a lot of these machines were made is a lot of the reasons they were made, the Glint Hawks, the Thunder even the Thunderjaw. Well, no, I think the Thunderjaws were made by the derangement if I'm not mistaken. But like the grazers, the chargers, they were made, the snapjaws, they were made to look like certain animals because they were meant to clean the water, to clean the air. Basically, they were, they knew the world was going to end and Project Zero Dawn was an AI to help create these machines to make this place livable again. And then they had a, a person called Hades which was to destroy everything if just in case if the terraforming didn't work. So they would try terraforming and if things were too out of whack basically. Yeah. And human life couldn't sustain itself or if stuff started to go wrong, Gaia because she's Gaia and she's like the goddess of earth and doesn't want her creation to die that was Hades job is to wipe out everything and for Gaia to start again and so we find out later on some kind of glitch or something to happen which I don't think we know what that is yet it might be touched on the next game but we don't know why this happened there's rumors of another game we don't know for sure but there's rumors and it looks like there's going to be a Horizon Zero Dawn 2 but basically something happened and Hades just decided to, like, start killing everything. Well, what That happened, was what the derangement uh, was. Um, oh. Yeah, what happened from what I read, basically this glitch actually 
separated because Gaia was the main AI and she had sub programs and this glitch actually turned each program into its own separate AI. So they all ran independently. So they're all kind of fighting each other. And like you said, Hades was the main one that was like the real threat because all he wanted to do was destroy the earth. And that's where this derangement came from. I mean, it's not his fault. That's literally what he was programmed to do. Mm -hmm. But I do faintly recall that the glitch so-and-so, we find out that it didn't come from Earth. It actually, we don't know where it came from, but it didn't come from Earth. It was some foreign thing that happened, and that's what caused everything to, like, spiral out of control. Hmm. Interesting. Like, as you go through and you learn about all these different programs you learn about everyone that like was involved with zero dawn you listen to their audio logs their video logs of everything uh, people who were chosen to work with for zero dawn they were basically they would go through an an interview process and mm. they were basically told you can either work and help try to save humanity or if you want we can kill you right now. It's shitty because like they brought him in for these interviews, told him the secret stuff. And then they're like, yeah, so if you don't want to work for us, you kind of know confidential information and we're going to kill you or keep you here forever. Or you could work for us. So <laughs> what's your choice? It was very kind of like your cliche secret government type thing going on. But I mean, this is one of the times where like, I would understand of like how strict they had to be because I mean if you were the army and you learned that enduring victory was to stall out for project zero dawn to mm -hmm. to save the world quote unquote and you find out that it actually is just to create an AI that will create life hundreds of years in the future so we don't go extinct would you be able to <laughs> in good conscience be able to throw down your life to stall out this right like i think for it's something you know the whole humanity your whole family everyone you know is going to die right i think my main thing would be like well if we're all gonna die anyway like there's no point in even fighting anymore yeah like why wouldn't you what would cause them to not want to spend the last moments with their family mm -hmm. or even some people to try to hide and think they could wait it out right so that's one thing that like it was definitely shocking, don't get me wrong, but like there was even a quote on there between the Legend of Sobek and Ted Farrow where they're like, I didn't expect the cure to be worse than the problem. Mm -hmm. And he's and Elizabeth Sobek's like, You wanted a cure? Here it is. This is literally the only way we can have humanity to stay living is to kill everyone and be reborn basically hundreds of years in the future when terraforming's done. Right. And and as you, like, go through these data logs, you learn how shitty of a guy Ted Farrow is because he's obviously the one that created this Pharaoh Plague, is what they called it. And he made these robots, this, this Horus line, to be these insane killers and this and that and run off biomaterial, which is a terrible idea. Yeah, peacekeepers, which is a terrible idea. Who makes an AI and is like, you know what, let's just let it be able to feed itself because that's a great idea. And supposed to be, I think he like said it was supposed to be a so basically a twenty four seven 
peacekeeper, mm-hmm. quote unquote, that he won, and that's why it was doing bountiful. But he did have code that said like no humans, no like animal life. It was right. supposed to take like trees and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And but... he said it was supposed to only be in case of emergencies, and and then one one robot. It was a uh, metal devil that the virus like broke it. Something broke it, and it started eating like. In one of the data logs, it said there were endangered dolphins that it started eating off the coast. And in, yeah. in the in the data log, it was talking about how it basically just blended them up and ate them. And then yeah. and then it just kept going from coast to coast and just started creating shit. And then they're like, let's delete this from the internet. So he was trying to cover yeah. his tracks. And then shit happened. Horizon. Yeah. Or Zero Dawn. Yeah, and then they created the corruptors that further um, corrupted all the other machines. And basically that's when he's like, all right, I need you to help me figure out the thing. And what's even worse that made me even hate Ted Farrow even more was the <sighs> Apollo program had all the information that the civilization up until this point had. So basically it was an archive of every like of everything we ever known that was on the digital web because they were even rescanning like old texts and everything that's why this thing took so long because they literally digitized every information we ever had and put it in this apollo program and ted farrow trying to be the big justice guy he is and trying to make up for his sins and he talked to the people they were having a meeting with all the people who helped create all the ais and then ted farrow was in there and he goes i don't think we should give the people this information and like they had backup programs and backup programs other backup programs that would help civilization renew itself with all this information so that whatever this wouldn't happen again but ted farrow and his justice justice mind was like no we can't give them we're giving them the solution but we're also giving them the plague we can't give them the plague and basically he goes and he decides to delete the entire program and then kill everyone else Mm -hmm. so he suffocated them in uh, this room of all the people that helped made all the ais and suffocated them and they all died so literally no information can get linked and he thought that was the way to save humanity mm-hmm. and it's super shitty because he's like yo like i know i created this whole thing but let me just fuck more shit up like if i did that i'd be like you know what i probably shouldn't touch anything because what i touch just turns to hell yeah he should have just been the money bags that yep. that he was and just Brought everything over that Sobek needed to find the cure and then just been like, all right, well, it's done. Time to kill myself now. (laughs) (laughs) And it was interesting actually learning, like looking through some of the data logs, is Ted and Elizabeth Sobek, like 20 years before this happened, actually like reversed human like destruction on Earth. Like we were destroying the planet with pollution and global warming and shit, and they reversed that through pharaoh industries and then he creates a pharaoh industry like moves pharaoh industries into war tech and it's like 
you save the planet, and then you go destroy it, and it's kind of a... Well, to be fair, you was like, they were peacekeepers, yeah. but come on, you He's made a freaking weaponized machine. Had, you made peace war machines that could feed off the earth, and that had no kill codes. It's Like, if you really wanted them to be peacekeepers, you would have gave them, like, non-lethal stuff, like... Like, maybe, like, EMP launchers and stuff like that that didn't do damage to anything but, like, machines and other stuff like that. Right. Or, like, something that, like, even if the the electric shockwave happened, it would only, like, paralyze the people for a short time. Like, there were so many non-lethal ways you could make it. Right. But, like, well, all your freaking machines had guns and lasers and it's like... Yeah, what? and then on top of that, his machines could also take over other machines, so that's just creating an army. <laughs> yeah, and then, not to mention, you made a machine that makes other machines, like... Right. Just, what? <laughs> just ridiculous. <laughs> There's just so much lore and history that this game put in that I highly recommend you, at least at the bare minimum, listen to the audio logs and watch mm -hmm. the holograms. There are some holograms you are forced to watch because they continue the story. Even if you don't read all the data points, I highly recommend listening yeah. to like all the audio logs because some of them are sad yeah. because you like you can feel like them scared or them worried, and it's just like, or you can feel the last hope mm -hmm. still going on, and it just gives you goosebumps. Yeah, and I highly recommend the the email data points like between elizabeth and pharaoh and like all the points in the horizon project or the the zero dawn project because you learn so much about what's going on behind the scenes and it's just a really cool insight to what each program is doing and stuff so but right. on that i think we're kind of at the end we're of, a little over our yeah. hour mark but we had a lot to talk about so yeah. Wrapping this up, do you have some words of wisdom you would like to bestow upon us? Well, I have a few facts about the game that I found, and I think they're just kind of cool. So about the the whole game, like, the pitch for the game didn't originally have dinosaurs. It was just some, like, killer robots that were Killzone-style robots, and they... We're saying that it just felt too off. It didn't fit the concept of the game that they were pitching. They wanted more tribal feel. And one guy was just like, well, how about we do dinosaurs? And they all just kind of said that they were confused. Like, dinosaurs? Like, that's weird. So then he drew up some concept art with these robot dinosaurs. And they're like, oh, shit. I think we might have something here. And it Best decision off. ever made. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And then during the project... They were, like, in the beginning stages, and there was another game from a different company called Enslaved that was kind of futuristic robot-y, and they're like, oh, shit, like, it might be too similar. We may have put all our eggs in one basket. So they started producing a brawler game in parallel with Horizon because it was safer, it was more of their speed. And they're like, let's just roll with both of these, see what we get. So... They went to E3, they talked to companies like Naughty Dog and Santa Monica, and they presented both ideas, and they're all like, you know, this brawler game is safe. Like, you guys could do it, but you should do Horizon Zero Dawn, because this game is, like, an amazing concept. 
So they said, fuck it. They went home and they threw away the brawler game. And they said, let's put all our eggs in Horizon. And it was an amazing decision. Once again, they went outside their, their play <laughs> style, their genre, and it really worked. And then the last it's fact probably I one had, of my but, top five favorite games. Oh, I know. Sure. It's such a good game. It, I'm, it would have been so sad if they didn't make this game. Guerrilla Games actually licensed out their game engine that was used to create Horizon. They licensed it out to Kojima Productions, which was used to create Death Stranding, which is why Death Stranding has a bunch of like Horizon Easter eggs in it. So without Guerrilla Games, Death Stranding may not have happened too. So two game, two great games from one company basically. Well, and that's about <clears throat> all the time we have because we're a little over the hour mark now. But thank you guys so much for coming. And next one will be an anime-related topic. So on that note, we will see you all in the next episode of Weep Spawn. Yes. Oh, and actually one more thing. If you guys have any suggestions or want to reach out to us, you can contact us at weebspawn at gmail. So, dot com. Dot com, yes. <laughs> so hit us up with any suggestions that you have. And, and we'll, we'll say be... they're lame and won't do them, but exactly. thank you for your suggestions anyways. <laughs> I'm Bobby. And I'm Joshua. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Adios.